Welcome to the Analysis Mason podcast. I'm Larry Goldman, Chief Analyst at Analysis Mason. Uh, today, I'm going to talk with Martin Scott, who's a Principal Analyst in Research Analysis Mason, and he leads our work uh, in the metaverse. And so there's there's a lot of uh, timely things going on uh, in the metaverse, and particularly Martin uh, attended the MetaConnect conference um, and has been, uh, you know, incorporating this and saying quite a bit about what's going on there uh, and in the metaverse overall. So Martin's written an article uh, that you'll want to read as well, and the, it's the link is in the show notes. So uh, so let's get started here, Martin. Um, you, you just attended the the MetaConnect conference virtually. Um, what are your key takeaways uh, from this event? Thanks, Larry, for having me. Um, so, MetaConnect 2022 was fundamentally different from last year's event, which, if you recall, was the one where they pivoted from being called Facebook to being called Meta and announced their, their grand vision for the, the Metaverse. What they were focusing on here was really establishing their credibility in that space following a rocky year of, of share valuation, um, significant costs, um, and, and issues with, I think, engagement and, and traction with this, this new and very interesting and exciting vision of the metaverse. So the way that Meta focused on that was to prioritize making their messages understandable and credible for investors, emphasizing the, the developer revenue success stories in the Quest store, um, making sure that they got some dollar values out there. Like, for example, the amount of money that's been spent in the Quest app store so far, as well as talking more about their plans for the enterprise IT vertical um, and where they see that going for quest what they're looking to provide here is certainty to investors in order to gain a bit of stability so their partnership with microsoft i think was really good for helping with that credibility i think meta talks a lot about how they're building you know an open platform for collaboration and I think whilst it's great to be working with lots of smaller organizations, you need the biggies there as well. Um, and I think working with Microsoft really helps with their enterprise IT narrative as well. Um, I was really, really pleased actually to see how clearly they have segmented their VR, AR device product lines. So they're, they're clearly aligned to different target segments now. The the Quest, uh, well, the Quest 2 is the, the current generation headset, primarily is targeted at gamers still. But at the event, they announced the Quest Pro, which they're primarily aiming at the enterprise market and secondarily at remote workers and higher income individuals that, you know, spend money on tech. So some gamers will still be there. And then they have their collaboration with Ray-Ban for Ray-Ban Stories, which is a very slim, small factor AR centric headset. The other big thing that I took away from that was quite what Meta are doing with avatars uh, and how, how well they're doing with avatars, at least uh, in the lab. I mean, it remains to be seen how it'll work in reality. So um, they were really demoing this to uh, to counteract some negative press and criticism they'd had around the, the previous uh, appearance of Mark Zuckerberg's uh, avatar in, in various uh, guises. And really, they wanted to capture people's imaginations here and demonstrate that not all virtual worlds are going to look as, as blocky as Roblox currently looks, for example. So the two avatar texts that they demonstrated were called, firstly, Instagram avatar which was photorealistic um, but I think got firmly trapped in the uncanny valley as soon as the, that avatar started to move and smile and waggle its eyebrows it, it didn't, didn't look real but I think as a prototype it shows some of what's possible in the near term 
And then they also demonstrated something which I thought was really fun called Codec Avatar, which is a long, long way from commercial deployment, but I think showed really impressive levels of photorealism. Now, essentially, what we saw there was not in real time. It was uh, a recording, a rendering, but it shows what we could be aiming for. And this is where we're getting into that real kind of ready player one type world. But it's, it's still a fair old way off. So you've been covering Metaverse for a while now and uh, published some things uh, well before this event happening. So how did Meta's announcements align with your view of the Metaverse? Well, unsurprisingly, Meta are a major player in the narrative of the Metaverse, or you know, you could say it's part of the wider kind of Web3 narrative. So um, the announcements that Meta can, were made at MetaConnect did, did align well with the way we've been looking at the Metaverse. To take a step back, obviously, first and define how we define the metaverse, because there are as many uh, definitions of the metaverse as I think there are in this industry analysts. Um, the metaverse is, in its simplest form, the internet in 3D. Um, and what's vital from my point of view is that it isn't uh, going to be a closed ecosystem. It's going to use standards. And because of that, different parts of the metaverse are going to be interconnected. It's going to be near infinitely scalable, and crucially, the content and assets that exist in the metaverse are going to be portable between different parts of it, different uh, subworlds or, or rooms or that sort of thing. And those are the things that are going to make the metaverse uniquely different from the virtual worlds that we see and engage with today, um, the likes of Fortnite and that sort of thing. So in our report, Metaverse Strategies, Case Studies Analysis, we lay out a, a framework for the Metaverse ecosystem and essentially group facets of that ecosystem into three big categories and then 10 subcategories that allow us to think about the different roles that different companies can play in the Metaverse. Now, no single player needs to excel in all of those aspects in order to be successful, but Meta has notable activities in almost all of those subcategories. And at MetaConnect, the keynote contained notable announcements in six out of 10 of the aspects of that wider framework. Um, so it's probably worth me taking a moment to just run through each of those in, in turn and, and sort of summarize what Meta was, was saying about them. So first and foremost, end user relationships. Now, both Meta's Horizon Worlds and the rival platform Decentraland have been in the news very recently for the uh, surprisingly small number of monthly active users that they have. I think the Wall Street Journal put out a number in early October saying that Horizon Worlds had around 200,000 monthly active users. And Decentraland, there was a number below 100 that was put out at one point. Decentraland responded with a tweet saying, actually, it's around 8,000 monthly, I can't remember if it's monthly or daily active users. But these are very small numbers. So Meta aimed to provide as much counter evidence as it could to support uh, the success of end user engagement, the argument of the support of end user engagement in the metaverse. Um, although actually the numbers that it was quoting were really around different parts of its VR business rather than around Horizon Worlds. So I mentioned earlier that they, they put out some exciting numbers around the Quest Store. The Quest Store, you know, is, is the, the, uh, the app retail uh, store for for the oculus quest now the MetaQuest headsets that had gained a cumulative spend of one and a half billion us dollars uh, since launch and i think it was 2019. they also made a lot of uh, announcements around gaming um, for the quest store and made a really strong point uh, about um, strengthening their enterprise proposition um, which i think is really interesting and and valuable 
for meta i mean we'll talk about that a little bit more later the second part of the framework which was obviously very important at meta connect was end user hardware so central to the event was the launch of the quest pro headset which has ar pass through and since the event that's what a lot of people um, have been talking about online i see um, that's where essentially for those of you that don't know ar augmented reality so what we have here is essentially mr mixed reality where you have virtual screens virtual render renderings being overlaid on your view of the real world as filtered through the the glasses through the headset um, critically, Meta suggested that the Quest Pro was primarily an enterprise machine aimed at the addressable market they said of 200 million corporate laptop sales per year. Now, going back to what I was saying about credibility, there, there's lots of money associated with these, these enterprise laptop sales. So it's a big, healthy market to be aiming to take even a small proportion of. Third area, content applications and assets. Now, this is quite a big category. Um, and, um, you know, if you want to read more about this, uh, I'd say go to analysismason.com and look in the show notes for links to the various articles and reports we've written. Marketplaces are fundamental to the metaverse economy um, as, as that will drive customer spend. Um, Meta revealed a number of big brand partnerships for its avatar store, which I think it hopes will will kickstart that sale of portable digital clothing and assets, which is really core to making the economy of the metaverse eventually work. Um, item four, I think, on the framework, AR communications. Both Meta and Microsoft, separate from this event, have been really emphasizing mixed reality solutions for enterprise applications. Now, that, that could partly be in anticipation of Apple's much-rumored AR MR headset, which may launch as early as 2023, depending on which rumors you choose to believe. Now, Meta spent a good bit of time walking us through what they're doing with Ray-Ban and their lightweight AR headset. Um, and they that that I think was squarely within this AR slash communications category, along with the fact that this this collaboration they're doing with Microsoft included and emphasised Teams integration into the Quest Pro. Fifthly, are we on five? We're on five. Uh, APIs and standards. Now, Meta is focused on basing its vision of the metaverse on open standards and collaboration. And I think Mark Zuckerberg really emphasized this in the, his closing, the closing part of his keynote, where he said that you know our role is not just helping to build an open ecosystem, but to make sure that the open ecosystem wins out in the next generation of the internet. Now, I think having collaborations with the likes of Microsoft builds credibility in that space. And then sixthly, uh, in the framework, platform as a service. Now, this category of our framework includes data management, AI, analytics, and software development tools, which create the metaverse platforms on which metaverse applications run. So engaging developers was a core part of MetaConnect beyond the keynote. And there were a wide range of tools demonstrated. And that's the other reason why Meta were really emphasizing the amount of money that can be made by developers in the Quest store. They're trying to keep uh, and attract developers to the platform. So thanks for going through those uh, key points. And I'll note for our listeners that uh, Martin's actually described this in a really excellent diagram and it's available. You'll see it in the article uh, that you can find in the link uh, in, the, in the podcast note, show notes. So uh, thanks for that, Martin. Uh, uh, some really good insights there. So we've talked about Microsoft a couple of times. They're important both on the gaming side of things, on on the enterprise side of things. So just a little bit more about uh, you know, Microsoft's importance here and their their broader involvement. 
Sure. So as I said, um, credibility is a key part of this um, with uh, with Meta's aim to make the metaverse an open and collaborative ecosystem. I think this is also crucial to um, taking the Quest Pro seriously as an enterprise-focused device. You, you need to be using the Microsoft suite because that, that is what enterprises use the world over. Um, the gaming side of things was was brief. The, the gaming collaboration, uh, as, as acknowledged by uh, Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, uh, he did hint that there might be more news coming about Microsoft Flight Simulator or a new new version of Microsoft Flight Simulator later within within Quest, which I think would be really really fun. Because um, so Microsoft Flight Simulator is a wonderful example of. Um, uh, I suppose a, a gaming version of a digital twin, whereby you have real weather systems and real world satellite views being mirrored in a, a virtual 3D space. I think it's, again, it captures the imagination in a really, really fun and interesting way. But but crucial, I think the most important aspect of the the Microsoft um, Meta announcement and partnership was the porting of Office 365 and Teams to the Quest series. So in our research, uh, we focus a lot on the opportunities for network operators. So, so what do you think network operators should take away from MetaConnect? So I mentioned earlier that the framework contains 10 different facets. And actually, the role that telecoms operators can play in the metaverse, is it's actually all the stuff that Mark Zuckerberg didn't mention in the keynote. And that's not to say that it's not important, um, but I think it's simply that there's a lot more to be worked out in these areas. Those areas of our framework, which weren't mentioned, focus on cloud infrastructure, connectivity, and payments. Now, the first two of those three categories we identify as priority categories for, for telecoms operators in, in their role, role that they can play in the metaverse. Now, connectivity is obviously a core competency for all telecoms operators by definition, and we've got more research coming out in that area and what it means to be a metaverse-ready telecoms operator. Um, but edge computing capabilities, of course, will also be important. Um, there are, I suppose, so many different ways to to skin a cat to to make a business case for edge cloud computing and what what we realize is that it's not based on any single application essentially what we need here are to build a family of use cases that uh, that justify the business case for enabling edge cloud computing capabilities and a number of those applications are enterprise centric but once the tech is there, metaverse and metaverse adjacent applications, so I mean applications that are set in virtual worlds primarily, are also potentially part of making the business case for, for edge cloud investments. So CSP should, I think, investigate how their solutions might support both their own metaverse initiatives and those of other players as well. So monetizing this out outside of their, their own kind of application base. Now, ultimately, Meta, I think, needs to work with telecoms operators to manifest its vision of the metaverse into reality. Um, and so going back to my framework, again, all 10 parts of the framework, so the bits that were mentioned in the keynote and these bits where I think telecoms operators can play a particularly important role are necessary to make the whole metaverse economy actually work. So this potentially puts telecoms operators in a, in a position of strength. I think they are essential for the metaverse to work. We've talked primarily about MetaConnect and Meta or Facebook's uh, influence on all this that's going on. Uh, you know, you've covered 
the metaverse for a while and some other things. And and you just mentioned the sort of the metaverse ecosystem and so forth. So so what else would you say uh, is important? Just looking, thinking back on your research and, and what you're seeing here is is important in the metaverse now. So I think no, number one is the framework research. Um, we've also um, produced a series of case studies looking at the, the the current approach of a number of telecoms operators and a number of hyperscalers in the metaverse, um, what elements of the framework they best line up with and, and what they're actually up to. But I also want to signpost a couple of up and coming reports that we have in the pipeline at the moment. I am in the midst of interviewing a large number of telecoms operators and different players uh, for a report titled Metaverse Ready, Operator Approaches to the Evolution of CPE and In-Home Connectivity, which is part of our Fixed Broadband Strategies research program. I'm really enjoying working on that report because really one of the pinch points here in making the metaverse work is is in-home connectivity. Like we, it, we, We've got wonderful fiber connectivity with super high throughput. We've got, at least at the point where the data stream reaches the, enters the home, pretty decent latency but what we don't have is in-home reliability the wi-fi breaks down now 6e and wi-fi 6e and wi-fi 7 will help with that but there's a lot of kind of fun working out and puzzling out to do and so we've been talking to operators about how they're going to approach that so that's going to be a really interesting report and then the cloud aspects of of the metaverse are going to be explored in another forthcoming report in our edge and media platforms research program simply titled metaverse infrastructure strategies both of these reports are going to be coming out somewhere around about Christmas. On top of that, we've recently finished our annual consumer survey, and I have made sure to get in there a few questions about metaverse awareness, some of which I think some of you, our listeners, may have seen at our London summit recently. Um, and that's that's useful because it helps us to understand which consumers are interested in the metaverse, why they're interested in it, why they are interested in metaverse adjacent spaces such as cloud gaming, whether they already own a VR headset, that sort of thing. We're going to be publishing that in a consumer-centric report again in the next couple of months, which I'm really excited to release. And then finally, I should also mention, I think, that we're, we're potentially on the mobile side going to need 6G for a lot of this stuff to work. And there was a really interesting keynote at our um, our, our client's global summit recently, um, presented by Caroline Chapel and Caroline Gabriel. Now, the, the, the entire summit is available on demand. Listen again. And again, I think there'll be a link to that in the show notes. I'd strongly recommend that our listeners have a listen to the Caroline's uh, 6G presentation, which talks about its intersection with the metaverse. I, th- I thought it was absolutely fascinating. So great. So there's a lot going on here. I guess, you know, certainly the, the, the hype, if you will, is growing and a lot to say here. Uh, but it takes a long time for these things to really uh, come into being. And I think you, you've alluded to this, but what would you say, sort of what's the state of the metaverse now? Well, we've still got a long way to go. Uh, there's, there's a whole conversation to be had about um, whether the metaverse already exists or at what point it will exist. Um, and, and I think if you go back to my definition about the sort of fundamental scalability and interconnectivity and standards-based vision, we're, we're nowhere near that yet. Um, so I think if we look at the direction of travel, uh, momentum is building. And long term, we do expect the metaverse or equivalent technologies and worlds to become mainstream concepts. We're not talking about the next two or three years, though. We're, we're talking about much further 
out. So there's there is interest from consumers that's currently limited, but it is growing. And so I don't think we should uh, should just focus on those really disheartening monthly active user numbers that I mentioned earlier on in this show. Um, but I think that more importantly, businesses that want to position themselves in the future metaverse now have the tools to be able to develop technology and experiences and, and test that stuff out. And I think that was the other thing that that Meta was trying to position at Meta Connect with the announcement of certain brand partnerships. The tech is there to start playing with this stuff, to start productizing stuff. Um, and I think the revenue flows initially are going to be uh, indirect through, you know, brand awareness and marketing stuff. Eventually, people will start spending money in these virtual spaces to buy virtual objects, as, as whizzy as that sounds. So enormous potential. Uh, probably everybody needs to be paying attention to this, but we shouldn't have our expectations that uh, there's suddenly going to be, you know, some some grand development. It's, it's, it's going to take a lot of work, it seems like. So... Um, so what's your what's your takeaway here? You know, what should we expect right you know next going forward? Hmm. So ultimately, I think some sort of VR AR future is looking inevitable. It's a long road ahead, and, and you know feedback wasn't all positive from from the analyst community following the Meta Connect event. I think the key issue is working out the business case for all of this. Um, what is the flow of revenue? Who's paying for all of this stuff? Um, and what we're starting to look into, or certainly my research is starting to steer towards looking at what further catalyst events need to happen to prime consumer demand to capture that broader excitement which will generate spend and will generate and encourage business cases which will push us closer to the reality of the, the metaverse becoming you know, met, uh, manifest as a real thing. Ultimately, we're still trying to work out what those business cases are. All of this is very exciting and very whizzy, and I think we will get there. But until we get to those key catalyst events, which I think the the, the original meta pivot from being branded Facebook to being meta and, and, and reorienting the, the angle of approach to the company was, was one of those key catalyst events, but we need more. And I don't think that MetaConnect 2022 was a further catalyst event. I'm interested to see, for example, if the launch of an Apple headset might be such a catalyst event to really start priming that pump. And that's what I'll be looking at in our future research as well. There's a lot going on with the metaverse, and I think you've given us some really great insights into it, Martin. So I appreciate your time and, and efforts on this. So I'll remind uh, our listeners there is a, a link to a very interesting article and pointers to the rest of our uh, Martin's research on this uh, work uh, in the show notes. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.